He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Lord, we ask that you'd come and speak to us through your word. In Christ's name, amen. We had quite the uh, weekend last weekend. We had the Holy Spirit uh, retreat at All Saints. And it's always exciting when something depicted in scripture happens in real time around you. And so suddenly, uh, during the second talk, um, Chris disappeared. And, uh, and he disappeared because, just as the scriptures say, the sparrow has found her a house and the swallow a nest where she may lay her young by the side of her altars, O Lord of hosts. Bird, a bird, maybe more than two, definitely more than none, had entered all saints. And uh, in the most extraordinary way, in liturgical fashion, uh, the soon-to-be doctor, Reverend Dr. Chris Myers, trapped a sparrow, or maybe it was an eagle, um, in an Amazon box and escorted it out. Uh, I think that was the highlight of the weekend. It was just amazing, just, just trying to see him with a box, trying to catch a bird going from room to room in the church. He had help, of course, from Hannah and, uh, and uh, Dustin. So if you ever want to know how many priests it takes to get a bird out of the church, it's, it's at least two. Um, so I offer that to you for free. Um, let's turn to our gospel reading. And... Um, <clears throat> We have this moment, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he has his mind set on what he's about to do on the cross. And he tells two parables, which very helpfully he interprets for us, so that the meaning isn't hidden. And, and in Luke 18, verses 9 to 14, we have the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. And just as in uh, verse 1 of chapter 18, he tells us the meaning of, he interprets it for us. And it's a parable that contrasts someone who boasts in themselves, or of those who um, confess their sin and are seeking God's mercy. So in verse 9, we have here, it says, to, the, to some who were confident in themselves, of their own righteousness and looking down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes to all that I get. It's, um, the audience that Jesus is speaking to are the Pharisees. So Jesus here is intentionally picking a fight with a specific group of people in order to make a point. Um, 
the Pharisees at the time were the, are, were the elite, and they were also unrealistically, uh, they had an unrealistic sense of worth. We see this on Saturdays, don't we? I don't know who the teams are, but you know, there are, there are some uh, college football teams who just have an unrealistic sense of their self-worth. I'm not gonna name names, but we can all imagine, you know, uh, who expect that they will do better than they should. But here we have a group of religious leaders, and Jesus is intentionally dealing with this because this sense of, this unrealistic sense of worth is destructive because it prevents people, the people around them, from encountering the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God because they treat others with contempt. So verse 10, we see two men go up into the temple. That's because the temple, you had to walk up to it and come down to it. And then we, we have this Pharisee standing. And standing was the normal posture of prayer in that time. And he begins and he issues five eyes. Five eyes. I thank you. He begins. And it's interesting, he begins with himself. And depending on what time you arrived here this morning, um, we have two services. We have a 9 o'clock and a 9.15. And at the 9 o'clock, when we start the service, we don't start with ourselves. We start with God. Blessed be God. And it's a recognition that the Christian life is one where we cannot do anything to get to God and the great revolution is that God himself has come to us. And this Pharisee doesn't understand it. He shows us that his starting place is one where the focus is on himself. Take the great hymn, How Great Thou Art. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder. We could stop there. That's where worship begins. Our worship starts not with us, but with him. He carries on. That's just incredible. This confidence is in some ways impressive, isn't it? I thank you. Then he says, I thank you that I'm not like the others. Reminds me, you might, some of you are probably too young to remember Sesame Street, you know, but one of these things is not like the other. This is like the inverse polluted pattern of that skit. I am not like other men. If only God used that standard, the sliding scale of just be better than the worst. I grew up in a, at school knowing that I only had to be faster than the slowest kid. You know, it, but sadly, that doesn't work in light of God. Because the scriptures tell us, and Jesus makes it clear from his teaching, that we have all, like sheep, gone astray. That we are all in the same boat and that we are all needing of him. It gets even better. He says, I fast twice a week. That just sounds wrong. Fasting, you know, in the, in the, the pattern of worship in that time was once a year as you lead up to the Day of Atonement. So he's, he's displaying to God, he's re revealing to God his religious credentials. And the lie here, again, as we said at the beginning, is that religious activity will gain you merit. But if you've been around church long enough, you know that religious 
observance won't always change your heart. Activity isn't enough. We need something more. Religious activity is always, but what can I do to get God to get to God? And again, the grace that Jesus made known to us is that God has come to us. He carries on, fourth eye is, I give tithes of all. I am generous. Well, what's the problem here? You know, um, the problem is the basis of God's authority in our lives is his generosity towards us. So why am I invited to be generous? I'm invited to be generous out of the overflow of God's generosity to me. He has given us everything. And this is what the Pharisee misses. Everything that we have belongs to him. And all that he asks for, because the Pharisee mentions the tithe, I'll talk a bit about the tithe, all he asks for, all that the scriptures reveal to us that is in, what we're invited into is to give 10% of what we have as the, as the starting place. Because once we've given it, because of God's economy of grace, he takes the 90% that we have and he makes that 90% go further than the 100% ever could go. Because the basis, God's basis for his authority in our life is his generosity. And it's okay to recognize that I have yet to discover just how generous God is to me. And that's okay. We're all learning. But our generosity is meant to be in response to what he's done for us. And some of us, it'd be normal in a group like this, that some of us are still seeking to discover more of what he's like. And then the last I is, I get, I tithe for all that I get. And this is maybe one that's a little closer to home. It reveals in the mind of the Pharisee that he believes that he needs to provide for himself. I need to make it happen or it won't. As opposed to someone who's led by the Spirit of God and who knows that the Lord is their provider. We have this thing, and it's a particular thing in Dallas where the main besetting challenge of Dallas is this beautiful phrase called image management where we invest all this energy to make sure everything looks fantastic. And uh, inside, when no one's looking, though everything on the outside looks fantastic, everything on the inside is crumbling. That's often what happens. If I don't make this happen, it won't happen. And that is a pattern of behavior that often comes out of the sense of not knowing that it's okay to receive. In the presence of God, the expectation is always that we would receive from him, that he would be our provider, providing not just for the things we need to live, money, a job, but also providing, helping us, helping us provide, receive our emotional needs, helping us receive um, all the things that we need for life. So rather than thanking God for what God has done for him, the Pharisee arrogantly brags to God about his own moral purity and religious piety. 
And then he contrasts it with the tax collector. Where the tax collector simply stands, won't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beats his breast, which is the sign of sorrow and contrition, and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector is commended by Jesus because the tax collector doesn't need convincing of his need. He knows that he needs mercy. And he's not making any comparisons. He's just coming to receive. And we have this stark contrast between the contrition of the sinner and the self-righteousness of the Pharisee. And that's the center of this parable. I'd love to call this man a friend. His name is Isaac Frere. We haven't really met in person yet, but this is what he said. I will say he said it to me this week. Um, and actually, Isaac is probably one of the main reasons if you are not on TikTok, you should probably get on TikTok. Uh, because he said it to me on the screen, and it was like, it was so true, and it resonated. This is what he says on this passage. You don't get to see a miracle when you don't have a need. You don't get to see God move when you aren't dependent on him. It takes you being at the lowest of low. It takes you being down and out. It takes you being at the bottom to finally discover where you discover that God is your peace. God is your righteousness. God is your provider. God is your hope. He is your shepherd. You don't get to know that when you don't need him. You get to know that when you need him and when you need him desperately. That is a description of someone ready to receive. And a description, I thought, so, so well put of the tax collector. So Jesus pronounces a shocking reversal of common expectations in verse 14. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself will be exalted. In Jesus' mind, the way up is the way down. The way to promotion is the posture of a servant. The way to excellence is humility, which is such a helpful reminder to us in our day. So the five eyes, I don't know where you identify, if you identified any of them. I think I scored five out of five on all five. Um, and it's just such a good tonic. The gospel really is the tuning fork to our heart. It helps us recalibrate and recenter ourselves so that we can go into the week. Well, if you'll permit me, let me just speak for a moment or two on uh, where we've come from and where we're going. Um, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know, we've had a friend visiting, Emmy Wilson, and I've had, I tried to count last night and... Um, don't trust my counting because when I count how many attend on a Sunday, I usually, somehow, um, though I use a calculator, there's usually a 20% added to the number of attendance. So, you know, we have about 400 people here this morning, and it's, it's great to see you, and 1,000 in the children's church. But I've had numerous uh, notes, emails, texts from people who are so blessed <clears throat> by either a one-to-one -one meeting or 
the Alpha Retreat, uh, the Leaders Retreat, the thing we've done. And, and no surprise, whenever we emphasize something, it creates a bit of a stir. So for those of you who, are, who might be new, let me explain to you where we're coming from and where we're headed, and let me ground some of uh, the things that we've done the last couple of weeks in, in our vision and in how we operate. Um, we're, we're a church that is trying to do something that many don't, um, which is where we, we are pursuing a model of worship that, talks, that holds three streams in tension with each other. And uh, they are the scriptures, the sacraments, and the spirit. When it comes to the scriptures, we have a high view of scripture. We treat the scriptures the way Jesus treated the scriptures. When it comes to the sacraments, the sacramental life is embodied in the sacraments instituted by Jesus and then the creeds, practices, and teachings based around those, those um, sacraments that Christians have held throughout the centuries. We're not making anything up. When it comes to the Spirit, we trust the Holy Spirit is at work in the church, in the world, and each of those who confess Jesus as the Son of God, and that Jesus manifests his power and prepares us for ministry through the bounty of his, of his gifts, known as the charismatic tradition. If you focus just on the scriptures, you become legalistic. If you focus just on the sacraments, you become fuzzy. Fussy, not fuzzy, fussy. <laughs> yeah, what would that be? Hey, never mind, I'll talk to you later about that, mom. Uh, just on the spirit, wacky. All kinds of strange and wonderful things happen. Uh, someone said to me as they arrived on Saturday, the Holy Spirit retreat, I was kind of half expecting a snake to be handed around. And I was like, I would go to that, but that would terrify me. And um, we will never hand snakes around. Don't get that idea, Chris. It's no bueno. Um, some of you in our midst are engineers and architects. And you will know that strength is found in tension. Some tensions we need to resolve. Other tensions we are called to carry. And let me put it this way. I've already made reference to my mother. My parents are here. Welcome. Um, they live on the banks of the St. John River. And the St. John River in the Atlantic is one of the most incredible rivers. Uh, it was, it's, its name is uh, from the First Nation tribes who first populated that area. It was called the Goodly River because it was so full of life. And the St. John River, when you visit it, and I, I think we'll take a, a church visit, we can, my parents have offered their place, and I think the 1,400 of us here present would, would have a wonderful time. Um, what gives the river its character are the banks that contain the river. And as you start at the top of the river and make your way down, it empties out into the Bay of Fundy, the banks narrow and they widen to the point where by my parents' place, which we'll see this time next year, the river is almost a mile wide. Again, my math is off. It's probably three quarters of a mile, but you get the idea. Other times, it's very narrow. If the banks had no rivers, it would be a floodplain. Floodplains are dangerous. Floodplains are dangerous. Any outdoorsman will tell you 
that rivers, if treated with respect, are life-giving. Our banks are the scriptures and the sacraments. They give shape to our understanding and our approach to the Holy Spirit. And the banks make the river safe to swim in. Here's the challenge. Holding these, things in, these three things in tension mean that at times we'll flex and move closer to one than the other. And if you've had a bad experience in your past in that area, you'll be reminded of it for a time. Let me tell you, share you a little bit of my history. I've had bad experience in church environments that have majored in the sacraments. I was told one of my jobs that I had ruined people's opportunity to meet with Jesus on that Sunday because I had made a mistake in introducing the gospel. I had been imprecise in my words. And they meant it. And I was sanctioned for it. I wasn't allowed to read the gospel for a while. Fussy. I've also, in my experience, been in church environments where the word was the majoring focus and it had become super, super legalistic and was used harmfully against me. So what do we do? What do I do? That's what I've asked myself. The experience of the church is here. Mine is here. The standard of scripture is here. Mine is here. The witness of the church of, of who the person of the Holy Spirit is, is here. Mine is here. My temptation is always to lower the standard to meet my experience. But that's not the invitation of Jesus, and that is not the witness of the church. The invitation of Jesus and the witness of the church is that in community, we live together, we love together, we serve each other, so that our experiences may move together as one to the standards that we've been invited to. It's about learning to trust again. It's not easy, it can't be rushed, and it shouldn't be rushed. That's why if you look at the, the uh, penultimate page of our bulletin, you'll see our vision and values. And our values there include healing and wholeness. The healing that's required is only possible if we do it in community by holding the tension between scripture, sacraments, and spirit and not making any, uh, not forcing anyone to do anything. That's why our key values contain healing and wholeness because the goal here at St. Bart's is to behold Jesus so that we, be, we can become like him. So strength is in the tension of holding these three together. And you're gonna have opportunity to see that. So next Sunday, we have the high watermark of charismatic expression happening here at the church when we have our confirmation service, which is perhaps one of my most favorite services we have where the bishop will be here and people who have gone through membership and all the stuff are ready to be confirmed. The bishop will lay hands on them and invite the Spirit of God to come in power so they can serve in the local community. And then everyone who's in community with them comes to the front and also lays hands on them. And so in our world, the charismatic experience of the Spirit isn't really about me and Jesus, but it's about us together 
the church together. And then we will have a baptism service on the 6th of November in the morning. And in the evening, we're having a special service to commemorate the 6th anniversary of St. Bart's. That was a slightly underwhelming response. You, you've got a couple weeks to work on it. The church has been around for six years. It's kind of a good thing. There we go, a bit better. We have a wreath that we've had up here since the summer where we've invited you over the weeks at any point in the service, come down, take a ribbon, tie it on the wreath as a sign that God has met you, answered a prayer, whatever it is. And we're going to cap, we are capturing some of those stories and on that evening service, instead of a sermon, what we're going to have is we're just going to tell the stories of what God has done in our midst. And we're going to worship, we're going to thank him. We don't want to become like Pharisees. But we think we're better than anyone else, because we're not. We're all in the same boat. We want to receive as much as we can so that we can be who we're being invited to be as we follow Jesus and reflect his love to the world around us. Let me pray as I close. This is a collect. We say it every morning, well, most mornings. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, in you we live and move and have our being. We humbly pray you so to guide and govern us by your Holy Spirit that in all the cares and occupations of our life, we may not forget you, but may remember that we are ever walking in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.